Hi, good afternoon. My name is Carolyn Goodwin, and thank you all so much for joining us here virtually today. I am one of the co-chairs with the Boston Bar Association Delivery of Legal Services Steering Committee, and we are so grateful and thankful that Ashley Norwood is here to um, have, provide this presentation today. So thank you so much. I'm going to quickly read her bio. Um, Ashley has been involved in higher education realm since 2006 on campuses and at nonprofits and financial aid counseling, compliance, policy, and advocacy. She's an accredited financial counselor who specializes in advocates for loan forgiveness and loan repayment simplification strategies. Ashley's a national speaker and writer featured as a student loan ranger with the US News and World Report, as well as contributor to the Huffington Post and US, USA Today College. So thank you so much, Ashley, for um, joining us today. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you for everyone for joining us today. Looks like we have a good turnout. I am just going to share my presentation with all of you now. So just bear with me while that loads up. And hopefully everybody can see that. Can you see that, Carolyn? Okay, she's giving me a nod. Perfect. All right, well, thank you again for ev everyone for joining us. Today we're going to be talking about loan repayment and student loan forgiveness. Um, when this presentation was originally scheduled, we were not in the middle of a pandemic, so I have added some information to this um, to this presentation about COVID-19 and how it's going to affect your student loans. Please ask any questions that you have in the Q&A section. You can get back to that if you scroll to, if you uh, take your mouse and put it down at the bottom of the screen. I'm sure all of you have been using Zoom quite a bit. Um, if you have any questions, uh, put it in that Q&A. We're going to hold on to questions and I will stop periodically and Carolyn's going to feed those questions to me. If you ask a question in the beginning and she doesn't immediately um, ask it, because we're probably going to cover that co um, content later on in the conversation. Uh, but uh, this can be very informal. Ask your questions and I will answer all of them and stick with you until we get through all of them um, just to help you out today. So uh, Carolyn read you a little bit about my bio. What I really want to say to you is I am a student loan nerd. I absolutely love student loans. I know you're probably shaking your head at me. Um, I've been working with uh, student loan uh, borrowers and, and student loan policy and advocacy since 2006 and um, I just really enjoy working with people and helping them uh, survive their student loan debt uh, because their student loan debt doesn't have to own you, uh, you can own it. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that today with the uh, mindset that we're talking to public service, um, I'm sorry, public interest attorneys and um, representatives. So ask your questions. Uh, there's a lot of uh, miscommunication and a lot of bad information there about public service loan forgiveness. So please feel free to ask questions about PSLF. We're gonna go through uh, why there's so many people that are getting denied PSLF and all that fun stuff. So let's just jump right into it. There we go. So I'm from Access Lex. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization and we are dedicated to personal financial education, specifically for law school students and recent law school grads. Um, we've been at it since 1983. Everything we offer for both law school students and um, practicing uh, lawyers and attorneys is free of charge. And I'll share some more information about the resources that you can get from our organization. But let's jump right into the pandemic. Um, first, I want everybody to just give themselves a little bit of a break. Um, I have two kids at home right now. I'm homeschooling, working from home. I understand where, where um, 
a lot of frustration is coming from. And I think that everybody needs to take a breath and just realize that we're all, as cliche as it sounds, we're all in this together. When it comes to um, COVID-19, there are a lot of um, changes going on out there and specifically for your student loans. Anyone with direct loans is going to see an automatic suspension of payments from March 13th until September 30th. So you won't have to make your payments. That's going to be automatically applied. Um, if, you, uh, if you had already made a payment between March 13th and now, um, you can request to have that payment um, refunded to you. You'll just have to contact your servicer to do so, but all of those requests will be, according to the Department of Education, will be approved. <clears throat> Next is 0% interest. Um, automatically, 0% interest is going to be retroactively applied from March 13th until September 30th. So you're not going to accrue any interest during the, during this um, during this six-month period as well for direct loans. Now, if you're someone who attended school prior to July 1, 2010, and I'm sure that there's some people on the call today that, that did, you might have what are called Federal Family Education Loans, otherwise known as FEL, F-F-E-L. And those loans are not automatically eligible for that assistance. That assistance, um, as of, I think it was 2 a.m. Friday night or Saturday morning, however, however you want to phrase it, um, the newest regulations that were passed, uh, those borrowers are allowed to request that, uh, that assistance. So anyone who has those older federal family education loans or the uh, Perkins per program loans, you can request a 0% interest and a stoppage of payments if you're in good standing for until September 30th. But you will have to go to either your servicer site or give them a call. Have some patience because you're not going to be the only one calling. So I'm sure that there's going to be some long wait times, but you can request that, that relief as well right now. So <clears throat> that all of that has to do with the CARES Act. So the CARES Act that was passed, I think it was March 27th now, um, all of that uh, is folded into the CARES Act. If you want updated information, um, because everything keeps changing, they're talking about doing another stimulus act, um, what you can do is stay up to date on with, if you go to student, studentaid.gov, and um, let me pop that into the chat panel. with me here. So if you go to studentaid.gov, you'll be able to find their, uh, their COVID-19 resources page. And they have an updated FAQ. Um, as of this morning, it was updated with all the information that passed over the weekend. And keep going back there to see if, the, if uh, anything new has happened um, after our presentation today, because updates keep uh, Things just keep changing, and so just have a little patience, and after a few days, all of that will be updated on that site. And, uh, Carolyn, before we move on, does, did, anybody, um, did anybody ask any questions about the uh, COVID-19 and their student loans in the chat panel, in the Q&A? We don't have any questions in the Q&A, but if anyone has any, please put them in. All right, thank you. Thanks. All right, so 
we're going to start jumping into your student loans, which is what you're here for in the first place, right? And my first piece of advice for anyone is that you are unique, you're your special snowflake, and make sure that whatever you do with your student loans is in line with what your values and your priorities are. I'm sure that you have colleagues who have told you how they've repaid their student loans or how they're attacking their student loans. Maybe a sibling, maybe a parent, maybe a friend, even your spouse. Um, when it comes to student debt, how you approach it is going to be very personal and based on what you value most. When I work with individuals, I always like to ask, um, what's going to help you sleep at night? Is it getting rid of this debt as quickly as possible? Or is it making room in your budget for life? Maybe you're, you went back to, school, to law school um, after you already had a family and your monthly budget is the most important thing to you right now. Uh, neither answer is incorrect, but the how you answer that question is going to determine how we move forward in your loan repayment. So with that, just keep that, always keep that in mind with that it's always your unique choice. Don't just do something because someone else told you to do something. Um, and the first thing we need to know is we need to know that we have the right information. We need to know how much you have in student loans, where to find them. Um, you need to make that individual decision. And then you need to realize that, especially with federal student loan debt, you can uh, revisit it just about at least annually. So when life changes, you buy a home, you get married, you have kids, there's a pandemic going on, um, you can always revisit your student loans and, and your repayment strategy and adjust, uh, adjust for it. So first step is knowing where your student loans are. That studentaid.gov site I put in the chat panel, um, that is where you can log in with your FSA ID. It's that login you used for your FAFSA. If you've been a few years out of school, that's okay. Um, if you, you know, put in that you forgot your FSA ID, you'll restart the whole process and you'll be able to get in. And it's going to show you all of your federal student loan debt. It's going to show you all your direct loans. If you have Perkins loans, if you have, if you have federal family education loans, you have PLUS loans. It's going to list them all. It's going to tell you how much you have. Uh, who your loan holder is, uh, and what repayment status you're in. Most important thing uh, for our conversation today is how much you have. Do you have $50,000? Do you have $150,000? You really need to know. The next step is to see if you have any private student loans. Uh, to do that, you'll want to pull a credit report from annualcreditreport.com, and I'll put that in the chat panel uh, for, you, for you to just copy and paste. And that will, that will show you all of your consumer debt, including any private student loans that you, you might know or might not know that you have. And then there's any other debt obligations you wanna have an awareness of. If there's any credit card debt, or if you, and you had a conversation with your mom before you went to law school and said, I would pay off the loans that, I, that you take out in my name, make sure you're aware of that before you um, start really making your strategy for your loan repayment. <coughs> And next is, um, how, how are you going to start repaying it? So I'm going to do a really quick review of the different repayment options, but please keep in mind that um, you can always get a free uh, coaching appointment from um, my team at Access Lex. So I'm just going to put in the link. It's called Access Connects. If I could type it out, that would be great. There we go. So um, I plugged that just 
because it can be difficult to figure out which repayment option is, is um, the best for you at that time. So we offer free coaching and no, uh, no limit on free appointments on just figuring out what repayment plan is, is best for you. We don't sell anything. Again, we're a nonprofit and we can help you walk through this process. So I'm just gonna kind of give you a 10,000 foot level view of the different repayment options. Um, the automatic one you're placed into, if you don't choose another one, is the standard repayment option. That's a 10-year plan, 120 payments, very similar to a car loan or a personal loan you might take out. Um, it's based on uh, 120 months, your interest rate, and it's just divided into 120 payments. So you pay it off in 10 years, there's nothing, le nothing left to pay. I also like to call that my um, sticker shock plan because it's typically the most expensive of the repayment options because you're paying it off in the fastest amount of time for um, these, these plans. Keep in mind that there's no prepayment penalty. You can always pay extra if you want to, if you have the resources to do so. Then there's the graduated repayment plan. It's also a 10-year plan, but it starts out low and goes up um, every couple of years. And so you end up paying more in interest uh, on this plan than you do the standard 10-year plan. The next plan is for extended repayment. It's 25 years. It's for loans over $30,000, which if you went to law school, most of you will have. And uh, this plan can either be graduated or, <clears throat> or fixed so that the payments are just stretched out over 25 years, a lot longer repayment period, which means you pay a lot more in interest, but your payments are a lot lower every month. So going back to my question of what's gonna help you sleep at night, if it's, I want to pay this off as quickly as possible, extended repayment might not be the best strategy for you because it's 25 years. But if you're somebody who's looking to have room in your budget, extended repayment um, might make sense. As long as you're aware, you're going to pay more interest over the course of the loan. I always give the example of myself and my mom. She raised me. I'm very debt averse. I try to tackle debt really aggressively. Yet my mom has no problem taking on more debt as long as she can fit the budget, the the loan repayment amount in her budget. But she'd rather pay a little bit of amount every month for however long instead of making one lump sum payment. So it's just two different approaches. Neither is bad as long as our, our overall financial health is still taken care of. Now, the unique plans for uh, student loan repayment are the income-driven plans. They're based on how much you make not how much you borrowed. So they're very different than what you would normally see under any other type of loan. The four different plans are income contingent, income-based. A lot of people will just call these income-based plans or IBR, uh, pay as you earn and revise pay as you earn. They're all exactly the same, except for when they're different to make things really easy for all of us. So that's when I plug the Access Connects. If you're, if you're interested in the, in the income-driven plans, please sit down with one of us so that we can just run the numbers with you, talk about the pros and cons and what it would look like for your overall repayment. Now, um, these plans, because they're based on how much you make, you need to report your uh, IRS uh, tax return information every year to apply. What it does is it takes a look at your adjusted gross income. Uh, if you file your own taxes, you might that, that might ring a bell, also known as your AGI. It compares that AGI to 150% of, of the poverty guideline for your family size and state. That 150% is this, you know, light, lightish yellow 
your lighter orange uh, bar on the, on the graph here, that's called protected income. The difference between AGI and that protected income is what's known as your discretionary income, it's that darker orange bar on top. And your payments will be 10, 15, or 20% of that discretionary income um, that's divided by 12 months. So that's where that number, number comes from. You can use the calculator on the student aid site to figure out what that would look like for yourself. You can use the calculator on the accesslex.org site. Um, there are other ones out there, but it'll give you an idea of what your payments might look like. Um, as you make more money, because it's based on how much you make, your payments will go up. Um, as you take a pay cut or you change careers, um, your payments might go down based, based on any um, decreases in pay. So it's gonna go up and down over the years depending on how much you borrowed. All these plans are 20 or 25 years. And, oops, hit that a little too early. So um, all these plans are 20 or 25 years. After the 20 or 25 years, your remaining balance is forgiven, but is taxed. Um, so keep that in mind, but you would need to repay on one of these plans if you're interested in public service loan forgiveness. And I'm assuming many of us are here today to talk about PSLF. Carolyn, do, before we jump into PSLF, did we have any questions about the repayment options in general? Yes, just unmuting myself. We have three questions, which I'll read to you. Okay. Um, the first one says, how will this affect the number of payments I have to make to qualify for public service loan forgiveness. And I'm thinking that was in connection with um, your conversation on COVID-19 updates. All right, so that's a great question. So um, that suspension of payments, um, it's really unprecedented, unprecedented, and they've never done this before, but um, it's not being considered a tr traditional forbearance. It, they're calling it suspension. And all of those monthly payments, as long as you continue to work full-time for an eligible employer, those payments will count for PSLF. Those payments, if you're not working toward PSLF and you're just on an income-driven repayment plan, um, those $0 payments will still count as eligible payments for the income-driven options too. The good part of that, the good, not only is it good because it counts as payments. And, and this may be the same question, sorry. That, that's okay. This is short term, it, you know, this short term six month relief could lead to um, long making people pay longer if it didn't count, if they didn't make it count for the PSLF and IDR um, applications. All right. Thank you. Um, this may be the same question, and if, but I'll just read it to you anyway. Am I correct in understanding that I will get credit for my student loan forgiveness payments? as in reducing the 120 payments required for forgiveness from now until September, even though I will not make payments. So it's not reducing the requirement for 120 payments. Um, they're considering these $0 payments as counting. So you'll get credit for six payments for PSLF during this period, even though you're not making any payments. And if that isn't clear, please let, please, um, please. Great, thanks. The third question, this may be, this may this may be a similar question as well. Do they count as qualifying payments between now and September 30th? If we made payments during March through September time period, even though we don't have to, would that hurt us? It will not hurt you. It'll help pay down your balance. Um, your audit, so if you have auto pay already set up, they've canceled it. 
So if you want to make payments, you have the ability to make payments, you can go in, go ahead and, and do so. You just need to either go on the servicer site and um, log in and put your, your, put in how much you're gonna pay each month or give them a call. Probably going on the site is gonna be easiest. But it's not gonna, it's not gonna negatively impact, uh, impact you. Okay, great, thank you. Those are the questions we have right now. Awesome, and keep them coming. Um, so now we're gonna dig into PSLF, my favorite topic. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna give you a quick PSLF history lesson, um, and hopefully it doesn't bore you too much, but back in 2007, PSLF was signed into law by uh, President Bush. It was um, created, created as, an incentive, uh, as an incentive for individuals to leave school and taking on that student debt and entering into fields that were really needed, um, the uh, public need, uh, public service, and nonprofit field work that typically people make, like, make less money than they would if they worked for their for-profit counterparts. So to incentivize them, they are providing, um, they're providing this program where, where if you work for an eligible employer, you have eligible loans and you make eligible payments, um, you need to make 120 in no less than 10 years, then your remaining balance is forgiven and isn't taxed. So unlike those income-driven repayment options, uh, if you only do IDR and not PSLF, you pay for 20 or 25 years, your remaining balance is forgiven but is taxed. So it's providing a really great incentive for people to work in these high-need fields. Um, I like to tell people to picture themselves like on a bar stool, a three-leg three bar stool. If one of those legs or two of those legs breaks, you're going to fall over. And that's where a lot of people have been getting in trouble with PSLF. So what you need to remember is we need to, and we're going to go over all this in detail. You need to have eligible loans, one. You need to have, um, make payments uh, under an eligible repayment plan, two. And then three, you need to be working for an eligible employer. Those are the three things that you need to remember the most. Okay, so here's my roadmap to, to keep us on track for PSLF. Like I said, the top three are that right loans, right plan, qualify employer. Next is what the definition of full-time employment is, what the definition of 120 payments is, and you went to law school, a lot of you are practicing attorneys, I'm sure you understand the importance of paperwork and working with the government. So there's a lot, there's a lot of paperwork um, that's involved. Um, about only one to 2% of those who are applying for PSLF right now are actually getting approved, unfortunately. And that number sounds abysmal, don't jump off the call. Um, I'm gonna tell you why that is throughout, throughout the next few slides. And um, depending on when you began borrowing, um, Hopefully you haven't been making the same mistakes. If you have, um, we can start trying to fix that situation. All right, first one is the right loans. The right loans are direct loans. So when you go to that student aid site and you take a look at um, what types of loans you have, you wanna see that, that word direct in front of all your loans. If any of them are not direct, they're not eligible, but you can consolidate them to become eligible. And that's when I plug Access Connects again, because if you've already been making payments on the loans, whenever you consolidate a loan, it's, um, it, restarts the, the, it restarts the repayment process. You can't get any credit for any in a, an, on any payments that were made to ineligible loans. So you can consolidate, but you wanna make sure the name of the game is pay as little as possible 
not get as much forgiven as possible. So if you were to consolidate 10 years afterward, after you began making payment, and then you have to pay for an, an additional 10 years, 20 in total, does it make more sense for you to do that or just pay it off on your original repayment plan? So you wanna run the numbers to, to make sure that that makes the most sense for you. And again, that's where I plug the Access Connects resource so that we can run those numbers for you and kind of walk you through it. So all of these loans are, the, are eligible loans. Any type of direct loan is eligible. And then if you have a different type of federal loan, um, you can consolidate it. If you have any private loans, any state loans, any institutional loans, none of those are eligible and can't become eligible. So that's the first step. Um, like I said, uh, PSLF was signed into law back in 2007. Um, the majority of the federal loan portfolio prior to 2010 was the older loan program called Federal Family Education Loans, FEL loans. So the majority of the individuals who applied so far for PSLF had those older FEL loans. The number one reason for all of the denials has been people who did not have the correct loans the entire time. And there's no way to fix that at this point. You can't go back and uh, give people credit for payments on ineligible loans. They'd have to consolidate, pay for another 10 years, which is the most frustrating part. Um, and I'll show you the paperwork that you can complete in a few slides so that you can make sure that you have the, that you are doing everything that you need to be, to be eligible. Second part is the right repayment plan. We wanna make sure that we're playing on an IDR plan. And this is where I wanna make sure that you, that you keep yourself um, uh, kind of not confused. So you, ne you are never in PSLF. There's no PSLF program that you're just in. You apply for it after making all the eligible payments. So you're repaying on an income-driven repayment plan to be, to be eligible. You're in the IDR plan. You are not in PSLF. PSLF is at the end. So just keep, the, keep those two um, separate. PSLF works with IDR. So you want to pay on one of these income-driven options, whether it's ICR, IBR, pay, repay. Standard tenure is also eligible. Because it's the default plan, um, the Department of Education wanted to make sure that anyone who automatically goes into that plan for a few months before they switch to an IDR plan gets credit for those months of payments. So keep that in mind. And this is the second reason that people are getting denied PSLF. They had the direct loans, they were on the wrong plan for 10 years. Um, prior to 2011, there were only two income-driven options. Now there are five, if you split IBR into the new, the new program and the old program. So they've really um, boosted their, their numbers, they've boosted the number of plans that, that are offered. So a lot more people since 2014 especially have been applying for these plans, but many um, that have already applied for PSLF were not on the right plans. So before I um, toss it to Carolyn for any questions, I do wanna say if I have anybody um, on the call today who was, working for the right employer which uh, who has the right loans but weren't repaying under the right plans, there's what's called TEPSLF. I'll put that in the chat panel here. I do see we have a question in the chat panel that we'll get that I will take a look at in a few minutes. So it's called TEPSLF. It's Temporary Public Service Loan Forgiveness. Um, it's a limited, uh, it's a limited relief, kind of relief fund. Um, that's probably not the right word for it, but it's a limited fund for those who applied for PSLF and were denied, 
because their payment option was wrong. <clears throat> and they had all the they had all of the criteria except for the repayment plan. Um, you can apply for TEPSLF if your the payments that you were making each month were more than what they would have been. They would have been equal or more than um, one of the income driven options. And so you can't. You first need to get an IPSLF and then apply with. And I'll put this in here at ed.gov. So you, um, and again, contact us at Access Connects if you think that you might be eligible and we can walk you through the process a little bit uh, with a little bit more de detail. You'd email TEPSLF, let them know that you were denied and that you um, were just missing the, repa the repayment option um, part of the criteria and that when you um, took a look at your payments, they were more than what um, the income driven option would have been. So it's a little bit confusing, but um, it might be a way for individuals to receive some uh, relief with PSLF. So I'll take a breath. And Carolyn, what types of questions do we have right now? So the only other question we have is the one that's in the chat, which I can read to you. Perfect. As an example, if I had 80 months left for public PLSF and I take no action on my federal loan, I will make six zero payments and as of 930, I I'll have 74 payments less, six less than four, yes. four, question yep. Okay. <laughs> yep, so those, so those zero dollar payments will count as six payments toward PSLF, so you'll get credit for them, absolutely. Okay, great, I don't see any questions right now, thank you. Awesome, thanks. All right, so keep those questions coming. All right, so the third um, part of eligibility is qualifying employer. And I like to really stress here that PSLF is all about who you work for, not what you do. So you can do anything within a public service or government entity um, as long as you meet all of, the, all of the other criteria. That's all that matters. It, it's not specifically public interest lawyers. It's not specifically healthcare workers or, or whatever it may be. It's all about if you work for a government organization, that's all levels of government, local, state, federal, tribal. Um, if you work for a 501c3 nonprofit, and now I'm not a tax professional, so I don't know everything about the tax code, but I do know that there are other nonprofits out there. I know that 501a is one of them. If you work for a different type of nonprofit, they just need to um, be that their number one purpose or their main purpose is meeting qualifying public service needs. So it might take a little bit more digging if you work for some, a nonprofit that's not 501c3, but it is possible. And then the only um, other uh, type of, of quote unquote employer is the AmeriCorps and Peace Corps. And you can volunteer with the AmeriCorps and Peace Corps, not be a paid employee, and uh, also qualify, uh, have qualified months of eligibility for PSLF. So um, again, government, those nonprofit organizations, and then volunteering with AmeriCorps and Peace Corps. No other type of volunteering qualifies. Um, your employment does not have to be consecutive. So you can work with multiple nonprofit employers over the 10 years, or you could bounce out of public service and into for-profit work and then back in. So PSLF is an all or nothing program. So if you worked for two years for an organization that was eligible, then you went to a for-profit organization for a year, you're gonna continue making payments on your student loans. Your PSLF payments will pause. They'll just, they'll just stay right where they were at 24 payments. 
after, let's say it was 12 months, you go back to another eligible nonprofit uh, entity, your payments pick back up at 25, 26, 27, even though you've made over 36 payments on your loans. So hopefully that makes sense. It's just, it just pauses. And then um, your employment also doesn't have to be, so it has to be full-time, but it doesn't have to be with one employer. So um, if you're working for one, one employer, you have to work um, whatever they consider to be full-time with no less than 30 hours. Um, you're, most people on this call are going to be attorneys, so I'm sure that you're not working less than 30 hours if you're working full-time, but if you work for somebody who said that full-time employment is 28 hours per week, that would not count as full-time, it has to be at least 30. Um, but if you work for multiple organizations, all of those, each organization you work for has to be eligible if they're going to count toward your 30-hour minimum. If you work at two, both of them have to be eligible, or you, at least you have to cobble together 30 hours per week on average at an eligible organization, whether it's two, three, four, uh, who knows, um, as long as those uh, employers that where you're getting those hours from are eligible nonprofit entities or the government, then they count. Do we have any questions about employment, Carolyn? No, we don't have any additional questions. Okay, great. All right, so now we jump into 120 payments. And this is where a lot of people ask me, you know, uh, if I have a lump sum payment, can it count for more than one? And so, my example is always, you go, to get, go down to the gas station, you get a, get a scratch-off ticket, you win $5,000, and you're not going to go blow it on a vacation or a big, I don't know what you put, blow it on nowadays, but um, if you take that $5,000 and put it toward your student loans, um, your student loan servicer will say, thank you, you have $5,000 less in student, uh, student loan debt, but it only counts as one payment for your, your PSLF payments. Those, all of the payments that count have to be scheduled on time, which is within 15 days of the due date. They need to be made in full and um, no payments prior to October uh, 1, 2010 will count, I'm sorry, 2007 will count as uh, eligible payments. So you can't take a large lump sum, divide it by your monthly payment to count as multiple months. So just keep that in mind. If you make extra payments, it'll count as just an extra payment, as just an extra payment um, to pay down your debt, not toward PSLF. Okay, um, and then this is where I do my big plug for paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Um, law of numbers, I see a lot of mix-ups and a lot of issues with um, application for PSLF. So keep in mind that there's employment certification form and I'll show you what that looks like. It's right here. And you can find it, again, at that studentaid.gov uh, site. Everything you can find with your federal student loans is there. Um, so this one on the left, the employment certification form. Uh, I recommend you do that, that form once every 12 months and anytime you change jobs. What it does is it, you know, you put in your information and then you have your employer complete it as well. So it's usually your HR office or if you're working for, let's say, a, a small practice, um, you would have probably the, the president of the company do it. And they will certify that you worked full time each of the months that you've worked for them. By doing this, you then submit it to the servicer Fed Loan Servicing. They're the ones who process all the PSLF applications. And by 
by doing this, you will um, get something back stating, congratulations, you've made X amount of eligible payments, or unfortunately, you've made zero payments, and this is why. So that if there is a problem, you can fix it. The burden of proof for PSLF is on you. So if you, if there's, um, whether it's you're working for an ineligible organization, your payments weren't eligible, or you don't have eligible loans, you can fix that problem. And it's a lot easier to fix it within 12 months of, of you starting um, your repayment or, start, or starting pursuing PSLF than it is 10 years down the line. And that's what people have been seeing um, 2017 on. So back in 2014, President Obama um, had some reports run to see what the effect of PSLF was going to be on the budget. Um, he foresaw that there were going to be a lot of people that were applying for it and that a lot of people were going to get, um, get forgiveness on this program. And he was really shocked to find that very, very, very few people were going to, to get approved because of what I've already told you. People weren't in the right repayment program. Uh, they weren't in the right loan program. They weren't repaying under the right type of uh, repayment plans, or they weren't working for the right employer. So he started the White House Debt Challenge back in two the, 2014. I took a part of it um, when I was at a different organization. And what we did was uh, the goal was to get uh, a million borrowers to take action um, positively for their for PSLF. That's when um, there was a real big crackdown on servicers providing um, Finally, and accurate information for borrowers, letting them know that they might be eligible for PSLF. This is how, um, and there was just a lot more education out there. Prior to that, there wasn't a whole lot of education um, from the servicers um, and the Department of Education in general for um, the student loan borrowers. So my hope is that 2024, 10 years after 2014, is when we're gonna really see an uptick in those PSLF applications. Unfortunately, that's four years from now. Um, but if you uh, have been paying for a few years and haven't done this form yet, make sure to do this form. It's only required after making 10 years of payments. But as I hopefully I've shown, um, it's a lot easier to fix, the pro fix any problems or identify there's a problem um, earlier on. So do this form annually or anytime you change jobs. And then this uh, form on the right is the application for forgiveness. That form is um, designed, uh, is the actual application for PSLF. Just keep in mind, don't jump ship immediately from your eligible um, employment. When you apply, you have to be working for that same employer until you actually receive the forgiveness. So whew, hopefully that, um, that clears things up for a lot of people. Um, did we have any more questions, Carolyn? Yeah, we have one question here. It says, my March student loan payment was withdrawn from the Federal Loan Servicing Program, and I'm in the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. It sounds as if I need to contact FedLoan to confirm that no other payment until September will be automatically withdrawn. Okay, that's a really great um, comment and question. So the so. The CARES Act was signed on March 27th, but it was retroactive to March 13th. So any payments between that, you know, between March 13th and March 27th, um, there, we didn't really know that there was gonna be an automatic stoppage of payments. Um, Department of Education told all servicers that they had to stop payments by April 10th because there's a lot of processes involved to change it. So they gave them, they gave them about 10 days to do, or less than two weeks uh, to do so, or about two weeks. Um, so if you made any payments because you had auto payment or you just 
you know, willingly made your payment from March 13th until April 10th, you can request that that payment be um, refunded to you. Um, and it'll automatically do so. You don't have to. Um, that refunded payment will still count as an eligible payment for PSLF. So it could just, you know, give you some room in your budget for this month. Um, but all of those uh, automatic payments are supposed to stop as of April 10th. So just because it already happened doesn't mean it's going to continue to happen. And I, I want to try to save you some time on the phone with them. Um, but they're all supposed to be stopping. Um, Great, thank you. Another question. When I submitted my employment certification form, my loans were transferred from a servicer to Fed Loan Servicing. Is that normal? Yes. So anytime you complete that employment certification form and you have, you have made eligible payments, your loans are going to be transferred automatically from your servicer to Fed Loan Servicing. And Fed Loan Servicing from then on is going to process all your payments. Or they're going to handle everything with you um, and be a resource for you if you have any questions about PSLF because they're the ones who process it. Another question. If I haven't ever submitted an employment certification form for P Public Service Loan Forgiveness during the eight plus years I have been making IDR payments, and I've had multiple jobs. Should I submit multiple employment certification forms at the same time? Or is there a reason to submit in a particular order? Um, so it's a lot of paperwork on your, on your part, but it's worth it. So, um, and unfortunately there's no online process for this yet. It's still very paper, you know, paper, uh, pen and paper. So um, print, th print uh, however many um, forms you need for the amount of jobs that you had and send it back to those employers as soon as possible, especially the ones that you worked at, you know, eight years ago. Um, the records retention policies vary by state. And so though an employer might say, yes, you worked here because we had, we have confirmation that we sent you a W, a W-2, they might not be able to confirm that you work there full time because the W-2 just shows your wages, doesn't show you your hours. So do that as quickly as possible for those older uh, employers. And once, you, once you've done that for, let's say you had four employers, um, package them all up, send them to Fed Loan Servicing, and Fed Loan Servicing will review all of, the app, all of those forms and then get back to you with how many uh, eligible payments you've made in the last eight years. Um, make sure that you keep copies for yourself and um, do the math yourself. You know, if that, that eight, if you did make the eight years of payments, make sure that it, it, it um, is equal to what it should be um, when you get back from Fed Loan Servicing. So you can go back to them and say, oh, you know what, uh, it looks like it's 12 months less than I expected. Um, why is that? And so you can go through it with them. Thank you. And another question. I am part of public service loan forgiveness. Why does my Fed loan account say forbearance and not suspension? It's um, there's never been there's never been a suspension like this that's been uh, used for everyone. So, based on the on the uh, loan servicer systems, they don't have a uh, they don't have the coding to say to say suspension. They just have forbearance. So that's why it's going to show up as a, it'll be show up as an administrative forbearance it's not being treated the same way as an administrative forbearance. I don't want to get too into the weeds with this, but any, um, any interest that has accrued on your loans um, that you have not paid, um, 
and especially during a forbearance, uh, anytime it goes back into repayment, all that interest capitalizes. So it gets tacked onto the, to your principal and all new principal accrues on this new higher principal amount. With this suspension, they're calling it a suspension so that that doesn't happen. Unfortunately, the servicer systems just don't have that coding in their system. So it's gonna say forbearance, but it's, it's, just a, it's just a suspension. So I just ask that, and I don't work for a servicer, but just be patient with it. And that, that's why it's gonna show us a forbearance instead of a suspension. Thank you. That's all the questions I see right now. Awesome. Awesome. So please feel free to ask more questions about um, PSLF um, at any time. We're going to run through a quick numbers example, just kind of um, hammer at home how uh, the repayment kind of works. We have um, this borrower here. I like to call him Ned because he is a three-year-old that lives in my house that is a master negotiator. So he's going to be my one that goes to law school. And he's taking out $150,000 in student loans. Um, and this is what the repayment outlook looks like after he leaves school. We're going to assume his AGI is $60,000. Um, under the sticker shock standard repayment plan, he's looking at $1,900 per month uh, to pay it off in 10 years. Extended 25 year, it would be $1,100. So payments you can see drop down significantly. And then once we look at the income driven options, all three of these are 10% plans. They're, uh, three, they start at $349 per month, and then they go up to $984 and $1284. That's because um, first two plans are only 20 years. The uh, third, third plan is 25 years. Um, payments are going to vary every month. This is just an estimate, um, but that's uh, what your payments will look like. And you can see, uh, if you're pursuing PSLF, how much room in your budget um, based on, you know, this is based on AGI, but you can extrapolate it out to your own um, to what your own salary is, how much room in your budget that, that you, um, you'll receive in this uh, by pursuing um, the income-driven plans and PSLF. And here's the long-term lookout without PSLF. So this is not looking at PSLF yet. This is just if you were to pay for the full amount of time. Standard 10-year, you pay $229,000 on <clears throat> that original $150,000 loan. Under extended 25-year plan, it's $339,000, so over $100,000 more, a lot more over 25 years. Um, under IBR and pay, it's a 20-year plan. You repay $148,000 and have $237,000 forgiven. Now, remember, that's taxed. So you'd see a tax liability of probably, uh, I think it's like around $50,000. And then repay uh, is 25 years. You pay $217,000 total and have $222,000 forgiven. So that's a, a quick long-term outlook on those plans if you don't pursue PSLF. Now, if you do, you'd need to repay under one of the um, income-driven options. So under IBR and pay, now all these, the payments are the same. Notice how, and so I'm gonna jump back to the last slide um, to kind of show you um, the difference. So. Over 10 years, your payments go from 349 to 404. Over 20 or 25 years, your payments are ending at 984 and 1284. So big difference there um, of 10 and 15 years. You repay a total of $44,729 on that original $150,000 loan. It's a really big savings for someone. So um, pursuing PSLF can really make a big difference in your overall financial lookout. Now, I never tell anyone to take out student loans uh, with the promise of forgiveness, but if you're passionate, and obviously people on this call are either already in this field or thinking about this field of public interest, 
Um, it's a big incentive, um, and it's a great way for you to strategize your student loan repayment. The amount forgiven under IBR and pay is $231,000, not taxed, that's completely washed away, and then repay uh, would be $200,000. The difference being repay has a subsidy in there, um, and so you end up getting uh, less forgiven there. <clears throat> uh, any other questions, Carolyn? Yes, we have another question. Um, I recently submitted an employment, oops, it moved. <laughs> I recently submitted an employment certification for public service loan forgiveness, and the response indicated that I had two more payments for subsidized loans than for unsubsidized loan. Any idea what, why this would be? And then there's an additional question from the same person that I can hold to read after you answer that one. So I honestly, off the top of my head, I don't know why that would be. Um, I get, I would have to ask more questions. You know, were you, did you take, did you have time off between your undergrad and your grad? Um, I think it's more in depth, it's more in depth question, but the very least, if you don't want to um, do an access connects appointment to, to talk it out, you might want to call the servicer and just find out why, and they, they should be able to answer that easily. And keep in mind, because all of this is done on paper and pen, Mistakes are made. I'm not saying that every all the, all these kinds of things would be mistakes, but mistakes are made because it's so it's such a manual process. So don't be afraid to give them a call and be like, "Hey, I just want to go through this. Uh, there's a difference between my sub and unsub." And then the follow-up question, and this may help. One additional question regarding qualifying payments. When I first started. started working after law school, my monthly months when no payment was made pursuant to a signed monthly amount count as qualifying payments, public service loan forgiveness. Is this true? Thank you. <laughs> um, let me read it myself. You, you kind of broke up, so let me just read that real quick when I first started working after law school. So $0 payments under the income-driven plans do count as PSLF payments. They, they will always count as long as you qualify for that zero month payment. If you were in your grace period, those do not count because you're not considered in repayment yet. Okay, I have another question. I'm just sorry, I'm pulling it up. It's in the Q&A. What if you're not sure if you will last 10 years in public service? Does it make any sense to try and make extra payments on the principal or the interest? So that's a conversation I like to have with someone. Um, if you're just doing this for a few years um, and you can't and you can't afford anything outside of the income-driven plans, then do the income-driven plans. If you have a little extra, um, put put it toward your student loans if you can. If <clears throat> and if you are seriously thinking that you're going to go to big law later or get out of the public interest in general. Um, and you can make more payments, then take a look at those income driven, those, um, I'm sorry, the repayment options that I showed you earlier. You run the numbers and see what one bet this fits best into your budget and pursue it that way. Because if you're not working toward PSLF and you're just on an IDR plan, um, though you could afford it otherwise, um, your interest accrues significantly on, on, an, on an IDR plan. Um, because it's based on how much you make, not how much you borrowed, you, aren't necessarily uh, paying off all the interest that's accruing every month, which is called negative amortization. And so you won't see your balance go down, it'll actually go up. And if you're not pursuing that PSLF or the income-driven forgiveness at the very end, 
which is taxed. And so we want to have a conversation about that taxed amount um, privately. Um, you want to try to pick a strategy that will work best within your budget and pay off those loans. Thank you. Another question. What is the impact of married filing, excuse me, married filing jointly versus married filing separately when doing the annual income certification for an income-based plan? So it depends on the plan. Um, so the, so all of the plans, um, if you file, if you file your taxes jointly, your spouse's income, income information is included as well as your spouse's uh, loans. So all that is added into the calculation. If you file separately, your spouse's income information is separated uh, as well as as well as student loan information, except for the repay plan, this one, this bottom one that's on the screen right now. Repay will not exclude a spouse's information at all. So there was this loophole, repay is the newest repayment option. There was a loophole with all the other ones that um, you could file separately, um, which would exclude your spouse's information, but allow you to include your spouse in your household's hold size. So when you got married, not only would um, you not include the income information, you would also have a lower payment because it was based on a, on a larger income size. Repay eliminates that altogether. So it's really dependent on what plan you choose. Great, thank you. I think that's all the questions for now. Okay, great. So um, consolidation and refinancing. Uh, I get this question a lot from people about what you should do. In the federal loan program, um, there's only consolidation and there's no interest incentive to do so. Um, you, you'll, you can consolidate to take advantage of PSLF if you have ineligible loans, but there's no discount on, on your interest rate um, at this time. Unless you have much, much older loans um, and you consolidate those loans, it's going to be, in any event, it's going to be the weighted average of your underlying loans interest rates, run it up to the nearest one eighth percent. Refinancing is with a private lender and it's gonna be based on credit uh, worthiness, debt to income ratio, and that's where you might see a lower interest rate. So I like to say to people, um, if, you, if you refinance, you can't get back into the federal loan program. So if you are interested in PSLF, you should probably consider staying uh, in the federal loan program. If you are thinking that you're gonna leave public interest and go to big law and make $190,000 and you wanna pay off your loans as quickly as possible, I always say, you know, take a look at, um, just give yourself a little time, maybe two years, um, to make sure that the company likes you, that you like them, and that you like doing the work so that you know that your employment is, um, is secure. I have a cousin who went to Tulane Law. She graduated and she works uh, big law in Rhode Island. And you know she makes a really healthy salary. She had over $300,000 in student loans and she really hates her life. Um, she works over 90 hours a week and um, just doesn't like the work that she's doing. She doesn't really like the people she's working with, but she's in it. She's planning on um, staying there for another year and a half so that she can fully pay off all of her student loans because that to her is her priority right now. And then what she's done, she's gonna get out. Um, but you know, every, like I said, everybody's situation is a little bit different and how you, how you approach your student loans, consolidation and refinancing is all gonna be dependent on what your priorities are with this debt. Okay, so 
Um, we've had a lot of questions today, so I'm going to really buzz through um, financial planning. Um, so I want you to just take a second and think about where you want to be 10 years from now. Close your eyes and just think about where you want to be 10 years from now. What are you doing? Where are you living? And how much are you making? And keep that in mind. If you have a pen and, uh, pen and paper there, write it down. Um, and we're going to go over the five financial planning elements to help you get there. Um, earn, spend, borrow, protect, save, and invest. Now, first is optimize earnings. And optimizing earnings means using your, your earnings um, to work for you. It's maximizing those earnings. Um, what are you doing with the money that you earn every month? Is it just going to spending? Is it going just to pay debt? The goal is to make sure that whatever you're doing with your money is working for you. Um, Dave Ramsey, the financial expert, always says, you know, wealth is the point where my money um, makes more money than I do. So that's what, where we want to start thinking, what we want to start thinking about. And you do not need to be wealthy to optimize your earnings. You can make $20,000, live, um, live beneath your means and um, save and still make, and still uh, work toward um, work toward your financial goals. I live right outside of Boston. I know how expensive it is to live here. Um, so it's all about kind of making balance in your earnings and making it work for you. And you always have to spend, but spend strategically. Um, I have a friend that on the back of her credit cards, every one of them, she has a piece of masking tape and she writes her financial goal on it. Vacation home. Debt, you know, pay down all your debt so that every time she uses it, uses it, it's a reminder that she should be spending only when she absolutely has to. So I'm not going to tell anybody to completely, you know, be eating ramen every day and living on a, you know, on a box on the side of the street. But just whenever you're spending money, make sure that that you're doing so in a thoughtful manner and not just. I know, especially right now, we're probably on Amazon a lot. You know, don't just spend online because because you can. Just think about what you're spending your money on. And um, does anybody know what the million, what the millionaire secret is? Um, mil millionaires across the U.S. were surveyed about what their secret was to becoming a millionaire, and um, the number one answer was budgeting and sticking to it. I like to say the simplest things are also the hardest things for us to for us to actually execute in our lives, and budgeting is one of those. So think about budgeting and spending in, a, th in um, a thoughtful way. And the next is protecting your vision. Insurance especially is really important um, when we're thinking about um, just our financial lives in general. That emergency fund recommendation is three to six months of your uh, living expenses in an emergency fund, especially right now. Um, lot, I know I, I already have been in them. I'm very debt averse. I work with a lot of people that are debt averse. This probably is not the time to really shovel lots of money toward your toward your debts um, if you don't have an emergency fund to fall back on because we just don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. Uh, renters or home insurance, and then health insurance, and then you know it might be malpractice insurance, might be other umbrella insurance coverages. Make sure that you are um, covered for a rainy day, and then borrowing responsibly. Whether you're thinking about going back to school, whether it's your mortgage, um, car loan. Uh, really think before you borrow just because you can afford that payment doesn't mean you need to take on that payment 
um, I always recommend, you know, having a conversation with someone about what your values and priorities are within your finances before you, before you, um, before you make that borrowing decision. Uh, and then save and invest for long-term success. Um, the recommendation for um, saving for retirement is 15%. So if you're hitting that 15%, uh, whether it's just you saving for retirement or a combination between yourself and your employer match, um, try to get up to that 15% over time. I know if you're already if you're only putting 2% and you have kids and everything, it's kind of hard to get to 15. But just make it a goal to start working toward that. Um, and then, like I like I said um, about wealth. Uh, if you can invest, uh, I know that investing in the market can be kind of scary right now with the, the dip in the market. Um, after every dip in the market, after every recession we've ever had, even the Great Depression, the market has bounced back and has um, uh, and makes an average of eight to twelve percent uh, a year. Looking back uh, over every year, even when we had bad years, if you look back over over the course of the history of the market. Um, it always comes, it has always historically come back. This might be a time to think about investing as um, buying stocks at a, um, at a discount. So depends on how much, how much risk you can, t you can tolerate, but saving and investing for long-term success is that last, um, is that, th that last part of financial planning. Um, I have the Access Connects information right here on the screen. Carolyn, I think, uh, did any other questions pop up while I was speaking? Yep, we've got a couple more. Okay. One of them, is there any way to change your interest rate once you are in the public service loan forgiveness program? Nope. Um, short answer is absolutely no. Um, federal, federal student loan interest rates are set, um, so they can't be refinanced. The only way that could happen is if um, you refinance in the private loan program. So um, then you wouldn't be able to pursue PSLF. And this may be a similar question. Um, can I refinance my ineligible loans with a private lender without messing up my qualified public service loan forgiveness loans that are with Fed Loan Servicing? So yes. Um, so what you can do is, so make sure you're very clear on what loans are eligible or not. So you wanna make sure you see that those direct loans. If you want to refinance, those um, non-eligible loans with a private service, uh, private private lender, you can do so. So you just have to make sure that, um, so when you're refinancing, you're essentially borrowing a new loan to pay off the old one. So just, uh, you can contact your servicer if you're not sure looking at the site to find out what your payoff quote would be for just the ineligible, SLF ineligible loans and um, do it that way. Great, thank you so much, Ashley. I think those are all the questions we have. Awesome, thank you everyone for joining me, to, uh, me and Carolyn today. I really enjoyed speaking with all of you. Um, I know it went over a lot of information and there were a lot of questions. So please um, don't hesitate to reach out if you wanna talk about your own individual situations, if you wanna run the numbers, or you think that maybe you'd be eligible, eligible for TEPSLF, or you've been denied PSLF or have any other questions, I'd be happy to um, have, have a phone call with you or there's 16 of us on our team. We're all accredited financial counselors and we'd be, we'd be very happy to offer that to you. Thank you very much and um, take care everybody. Thank you, bye.